maybe two tiers below the rest of the the elite teams. Are you in trouble here? Are they finally getting you, or what's uh, what's going <laughs> on here? To, I feel like there's a. I think they're all surrounding my building. I may have to get out of here. The SWAT team um, is uh, coming to get you. It's the H Dog Pod with your host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 57, the Steve Hines edition of the podcast. Unfamiliar with him? When scouring Goodward, beauty athletes with that number, I was reminded of him because I used him as the athlete for episode 57 of the previous podcast I hosted, the Going for Broke podcast. Hines was a 12-year NHL veteran who retired in the early 2000s. Why is he significant? Because he wore number 57. The amount of varieties of Hines ketchup. Because he's Steve Hines. Like Heinz Ketchup. Seriously. He wasn't able to wear the number when he was on the Boston Bruins because GM Harry Sendon said only Ray Bork could wear an unorthodox number, which was 77. After he left Boston, he wore it proudly. Amazing product placement. Steve Hines for Heinz Ketchup. The only kinds. I thank my next guest for reminding me about that old school hockey player. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, and now welcome back on a very special recurring guest, Eric Rosales. I've worked with him at TSN and now for sportsbettingdime.com. This is his third time on the H-Dog Pod, which is a record. He was previously on episode 3 and 10. I welcome him back for episode 57. How are you, my friend? Oh, it's been too long. I mean, there must be some tragedies going on around the world to have me back here. I'm, uh, I'm usually the Death Star host, uh, something... <laughs> Something hor- horrendous happens, and then I'm, uh, and then the next thing I know, I get a call from you asking you to asking to join the pod. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be back, man. Yeah, it's uh, funny you mention that because I think yeah, last time you were on on episode ten, that's when the uh, pandemic had started. So uh, you made that uh, reference then. Of course, unfortunately, episode three was when Kobe passed away. So we talked about that, and yeah, it's uh, it does seem to me for some reason you are the go-to Death Star guest uh, that I have. So I think that's something, right? Well, yeah. But by the way, congratulations for uh, for a year of work. I mean, that's amazing. Um, I have to tell you that uh, probably the most jarring episode was the uh, starting with Rishi Lal singing uh, Wonderwall. <laughs> I didn't know where I was at that point. I was disoriented and I, I wasn't sure where I had gone to. I, I had to take a deep breath and take my headphones off and just kind of re- uh, regenerate myself and make sure that we were we were listening to the right things. But no, it's been a it was awesome, man. It's been really cool. So, congrats on on the on the full year, bro. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to think that I've done uh, on average one a week for a year. That's uh, that's that's not the easiest thing to do. So, I'm uh, appreciative of that. Um, yeah, actually, the easiest part is probably this part. I mean, I don't think people understand the, the behind the scenes stuff to make sure everything goes proper. Um, I know that it took a little while because uh, for, <laughs> for the first couple of you go back and look, I think I sounded like I was. Uh, I was away in the wilderness or yeah. speaking on a speakerphone from 4,800 4, yards away. So <laughs> Yeah, well, the funny thing was episode three there uh, was when I did the first two episodes by myself, like with no, no guest. Episode three, you were the guinea pig, unfortunately, and the audio <laughs> didn't quite sound. I knew, I knew it wasn't sounding good, but I'm like, I don't know how to fix this in editing afterwards. And, and then I bungled it up more, and then I asked uh, Grant Nabesy Roberts, uh, audio extraordinaire at work, who, uh, hey, can you give me some tips on this? And then since then, he's been editing, editing. it's always a hard word to say, editing these episodes together, and he makes it sound really good. So uh, he's uh, fantastic at that. And yeah, uh, unfortunately, you were the guinea pig on that episode three. Uh, whoopsie. <laughs> We're all good. We're all good, bro. Yeah, but as you just mentioned, unfortunately, you are like the like you said the something you know bad going on in the world uh, type of guest uh, I always have on because you said your perspectives are great. Uh, thankfully, 
Tiger Woods is okay, but he uh, was involved in a, uh, a pretty horrific car accident uh, you know, last week. Um, what was your initial reaction when you heard that Tiger Woods uh, was in a car accident? Well, the first thing is I, I was on uh, I was on my phone and uh, I jumped onto Twitter and I you know sometimes I look on there just for shock value to see what's trending and stuff and um, it just said Tiger Woods so I said okay you know whatever the usual right and uh, because I know he had just been speaking at that um, at the last tournament I forget the name was it the Genesis Genesis Invitational yep. Yeah, so he was. They were talking about him being on there, and they were making jokes about how he looked really tired when he was being interviewed by Jim oh, Nance. Man, and stuff. he did not look good, not at all. Yeah, yeah, he looked like he was. Yeah, he was. He was. I don't know. He didn't look like in, in great spot. But so then I, I thought that was all it was about, and then I heard that it was. Uh, I heard he was in a car accident, and then I heard it was the jaws of life that was needed, and then, and then I read the the next quote from his agent saying that he has uh, he's in surgery now for my, multiple leg injuries, and I'm like, oh my god, what happened? And uh, I think. The, the thing that resonates with me the most is that it's still Tiger Woods is still a massive draw. As soon as that happened, I mean, Twitter and, and the media world went berserk, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So he's 45 years old. Uh, you know, clearly his best days are behind him, even though he's really good. I'm not saying, you know, and he's still my, my favorite, but um, it's just amazing how he kind of captivates everything. And I think part of that has to do with a lot of people saw the documentary um, lately. And, uh, and I think that that just, kind of uh, had people remind people of uh, just, just the scope of his influence in the world. So um, I, it was kind of scary when they said that his, uh, it was multiple leg injuries and it actually punctured the skin. So his leg must've been just a mess. Um, but I mean, true to tiger form when, when the officers were talking about it, they said he was in a calm, relaxed state. And I think that probably only he would be like that. You know what I mean? Like that cyborg kind of style, like, yes, it uh, looks like my bone is sticking out of my, shin but um yeah i think we we can get this sorted out you know <laughs> get yeah, me to the hospital yeah. let's get the surgery so well, yeah as you saw in that documentary when he uh was uh arrested for driving under the influence not of alcohol but of uh pills uh, i think it was four years ago obviously clearly you you, know, the, you, you couldn't even recognize the guy and you, you couldn't even barely walk straight and it was a, a really horrible sight to see and that's why for that interview uh, when he was interviewed by Jim Nance, it was like, oh, man, like it looks like he's on something, of course. And then two days later, the accident happened. So without knowing, of course, the details on that, it's easy to connect that maybe he's back because he's, no pun intended, back, uh, trying to you know, uh, work his way uh, from a, a back injury. So it's like, oh, no, I hope he's not uh, doing those again because uh, addiction's uh, obviously brutal. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing I think for him is that, I, I, and after watching the documentary, I just feel like golf is his drug you know what i mean like he really needs it and if it's and if he's not in that it kind of sends him sends him uh spiraling you know like that interview that he did with nance he he basically looked distraught saying that he didn't know when he was going to play again and uh and i think that especially for him it's like golf and competition are like his two kind of drugs you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and uh not being able to compete at the masters where really all all he cares about is stacking chips right that's it he wants to compete at the highest level and and major championships even though he's he's lightened up in in time that's all he wants to do still so i think it's really hard for him when he doesn't get a chance to do that and i think hopefully that's not the case maybe it was just he's been pretty tired with a lot of commitments and all that stuff and and that just happened but but yeah i mean you bring up a good point about that i i just think that I also had to say when and you had said this for the longest time, but this Tiger Woods redemption story. So when you talk about that documentary, uh, when I watched it, I, I kept 
harping back to what you were saying before is that, and I've read articles about it when they, when they've uh, reviewed it, but they try to make it this, you know, uh, phenom rise, fall, and that's the redemption story, but it doesn't really fit that arc because once, once he got injured or, uh, and all the stuff happened with Elin and, and he was single or divorced, he was, he came back and he was number one in the world already mm-hmm. and he got hurt and then he came back from that. So it wasn't really like, it wasn't like he lost everything. He really just kind of cyborged on after, after that all, you know, after his career basically went into the tank because of all the off, off the field stuff, he came back, was dominant again, and he just happened to get injured. Yeah, so, well, that, that's the thing. Yeah, he won five times. He won the Players' Championship. But because he wasn't winning majors, he didn't win one from, of course, 2008 when he won the U.S. Open on one leg, then the Masters uh, 11 years later. Because he wasn't winning majors, people were, you know, casual fans. Oh, he's done. He's, he's not. No, no. He went to number one in the world, like you said again, won five times, won a huge golf tournament, basically the fifth major at the Players'. But because he wasn't winning majors, people thought he was done. It's like, and so they'd always just blame the scandal. It's like, no, it, it's injuries. Injuries have been the biggest factor as to why he wasn't able to compete. I 100% agree with you. And that's why I think he's a total, absolute cyborg. I think that if this happened to any other professional athlete, no matter how dominant, maybe Michael Jordan would be the only one. If his, if his career unraveled in front of the entire world, he'd probably be the only one that could get, get it back on and um, and win championships or play at a high level uh, in basketball. But the resolve or the steely, I guess, demeanor of Tiger Woods is probably his biggest asset. He's just a monster, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's a beast when it comes to golf. Like, he's undisputed, so. Yeah, well, that's uh, when, when I had uh, Robert Lucetich on uh, episode, a couple episodes ago, he was talking about how, like, you know, uh, for his book that he wrote, uh, mm-hmm. about Tiger Woods. He was trying to talk about the Tiger Woods, the man, not just Tiger Woods, the golfer. And it was very mm-hmm. fascinating, uh, uh, episode 55, uh, just like sort of hearing uh, the behind the scenes of what, what this man was like and how he wanted to be in the Navy SEALs and all this stuff. Like there were so many layers to Tiger. Do, do you think you'll ever get back? To, I mean, obviously you're not a doctor, spoiler alert, but do you think you'll ever get back to competing again or do you think he's done? Well, to answer your first question, I, I did say it all day in Express one time, so... But uh, do I think so? I, I think he's going to be able to compete. I think that um, I, I read I heard somebody saying that uh, he probably doesn't want to go out like this. And I totally agree. And I just like I said, like, I don't think if you take golf out of his equation in uh, competing in it, um, I think I think it's, it would be ugly. So I think he's going to come back and his resolve is too strong not to come back. And I think he's still I, I'm 100 percent sure he believes he can compete with the uh with the rest of this field even though this, i mean the new age of golf is everybody hits it deep everybody can play out of the sand everybody has a great short game and everybody can putt you know what i mean like it's it's a it's an impressive field that he sort of uh crafted because he was so dominant in all those all those aspects of his game so um i i hope so I, again we don't know the extent of the injuries. Uh, I know there's a lot of rods and screws in his leg, but if anyone is able to come back, it's going to be probably him. I thought about this the other day, and obviously we don't know the extent of if uh, this made his back, I'm sure it did, made his back worse. But because he's obviously going to be having to rehab the, uh, his uh, legs that were broken, perhaps he was trying to uh, come back too quick for the Masters with his uh, back uh, after his back surgery. Uh, uh, you know, broken legs will hopefully heal in time, maybe a year or so. Uh, will this allow him to fully rest that back and not try to get, 
again, not no pun intended, trying to get back too soon with the back. And then if he gets the legs fully healed, the back will finally be healed without him trying to put pressure on it to get back. Could he then become actually healthy with the back? Because the back has been the main issue for the most part. Of course, he won the U.S. Open in 2008 on one leg, as I mentioned. But I don't know. I have no idea. I'm obviously, again, spoiler alert, not a doctor, but I'm wondering if uh, he, this could actually be in a, I was trying to think of a positive way to spin on this. Hopefully yeah. that maybe he can finally rehab for good, you know? I just think that if if he's able to walk, I think he's going to try to train and I think he's going to try to make it. I mean, it all depends on on how severe this leg injury is. Um, it sounds pretty severe. Like whenever you hear multiple surgeries for a leg after a car accident, I mean, the first thing that come, came to my mind is, are they going to have to lose – is he going to have to lose the leg? Right. You know what I mean? Like, So um, it was probably pretty bad, but – I mean, like I said, if anyone's going to come back and if, if someone tells him he can walk in, you know, a week or, you know, take the cast off or whatever in a week or two weeks, I think within the next couple of days, he's going to try to start doing something, right? He's just like that. Um, one last thing before I just want to come back to this because of the documentary. Mm-hmm. I feel like because of this, tw- and I've, we talked about this before with 24-hour news cycles being so fast and and so, you know, stories that were that would have been big news in the 80s and 90s that we would have stayed with forever are just kind of lost in the wash. I think it's just wild that someone at the peak of his powers, like Tiger Woods, was literally fully trying to become a navy seal that's insane crazy like like if you tried to make that in a movie no one would believe you you know like lebron james just decided i'm gonna train with the seals for the next x number of months and have them beat me up and do these drills where they put a bag over my head and then i have to wake up to a or they take it off and there's this scenario of people attacking me like what is that is mind-boggling yeah so uh I, I just think it's wild that, that it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's cool that it, they brought it up in the documentary, but that is just, to me, is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. Yeah, and I guess I guess that fuels his desire to compete, right? Like, he just wanted some mm-hmm. some other, I guess at the time, well, he was winning so many majors and, you know, winning a lot of golf tournaments. He just wanted some other avenue to get those competitive juices flowing, I guess. Cause it, it is pretty insane to think that. Imagine if that would have happened. Holy crap. <laughs> Maybe he leaves golf to go do, like... Uh, you know, operation like an operation to like kill Osama bin Laden. He was there. <laughs> Man, that would be that would be quite the story, no doubt about that. Holy, wow! Uh, let's talk to us uh, about some NFL. Uh, lots of quarterbacks mm-hmm. potentially on the move this off season, and uh, a lot of rumors being out, thrown out there lately. Uh, let's talk about the one QB that everyone's talking about, uh, discussing here in the last few days: uh, the future of Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, what do you think about him? <laughs> I mean. If there's anything that we need to be talking about, it's where's Mitch going? Uh, <laughs> uh, I actually I wanted to uh, I actually wanted to put it back in your court because uh, as we all know, you're a big uh, Seahawks fan, and um, I mean, had you known that there was sort of this kind of un- uneasiness between uh, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson? Because it seems like they're pretty solid as a as a tandem uh, coach quarterback tandem as it was in the NFL. Um, just to hear this come kind of come out now. Uh, I mean, what were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, there certainly has been the tea leaves a little bit. You can sort of read into some stuff, not a whole lot over the years, but, uh, you know, Wilson, you know, again, what quarterback wouldn't want uh, more weapons to, to throw to and uh, obviously offensive linemen. But yeah, this is definitely more of a fire uh, situation than ever has been. But just the fact that, like, if they were to trade him and have to eat $39 million, uh, say he was to be traded to Chicago, Mitch Trubisky's old team, uh, they would probably cost you know at least a couple of first round picks. 
then Chicago wouldn't be competitive for that. So why would he want to go to that situation too? And then the other thing, they fired their offensive coordinator, brought a new guy in. Wilson had so much input on who the guy was going to be. So if I, I really feel if they were like, we're not going to be going forward with Wilson, they wouldn't allow him to have that much input in the offensive coordinator hiring. hiring. So mm-hmm. obviously, I wouldn't be surprised if he eventually gets traded. I just don't think it's this offseason. I, I just find it super hard to believe like he's one of the top five quarterbacks in the NFL and they just, I mean, they don't grow on trees, you know, that's why so like hard. the Deshaun Watson one too is, is crazy. Like, I mean, they're, I mean, Texas, the, the Texans did a whole bunch of different steps to, to get to that point. So it's, it's kind of a different story. Whereas the Wilson one is always, uh, to me has always been like a philosophical difference. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to kind of open it up and which is why he, uh, if, if it's true that those are his four teams with um, uh, trade destinations being Chicago, um, New Orleans, uh, the Raiders, and what was the other team? Uh, Dallas. Dallas. The reason why they want to go there is because of offensive philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Chicago isn't known as a great offensive team, but that's because of Mitch Trubisky. But um, uh, Nagy is a really good uh, – Matt Nagy is, is an offensive mind. And so that's why they kind of put it out there, I think – because why else would you want to go to Chicago? Like Chicago doesn't offer you much. No, you know, have like, even I, less weapons. You don't have DK Metcalf, and you have Allen Robinson, mm-hmm. who's a free agent. So there's like nobody mm-hmm. throw the ball to there in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think that uh, I read something. Uh, I think Matthew Barry. Uh, I read his tweet. He said, "If I was Seattle management, I would fire Pete Carroll. I would fire the front office staff before I would even consider trading Russell Wilson." And I'm, I'm yeah. totally on board. They just these guys don't grow on trees. I mean, and someone who should know, I mean, you've seen it. Um, the Seahawks for years had a great defense and, um, and a good offensive line, or I think was an offensive line. They, they were good for a while, but what always held them back was they didn't have a quarterback. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they even paid tons of money to get Matt Flynn, uh, who was, who had shined in a couple of uh, spot duty mop-up games at the end of the year for the Packers. Cause they just needed someone to be a quarterback. And then they stumbled upon Wilson and, and since then, they've been sort of like, you know, teams would die to have to make the playoffs or have a winning record for nine straight years. There's teams that don't even have that over the course of a decade exactly. at a winning, winning exactly. record. Right. So it's like it's been like this ride. And of everything, that's what the ma- that's what management should know is that, like, he's the reason on top of I mean, obviously, there's tons of other things that go into a, a successful team, but he kind of covers up a lot of those problems. So I, I'm with you. Um, the cap situation is pretty dire. Like, you don't who wants to put forty million of dead cap onto their books just to get rid of a guy that. And they really are, they already don't have that hardly any cap room. Like, I think they have like, maybe the second or third uh, fewest amount of dollars for their cap room right now. So that would be even worse off then. And they only have four draft picks in the coming draft. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it would make mean, a whole lot of sense. I would say that the only thing that's enticing about that, if you read some of these offers, um, they would get. Like, say, for example, they got the Jets pick or Miami's pick uh, this year, plus a bounty of selections. Um, You could get a top uh, prospect who could be the next quarterback of the future, and you could reload your roster in all those spots, Mm -hmm. right? But, um, you know, I just – I don't know. I'm wary of doing that. And if he was available, just like Watson, there's probably only 10 teams in the NFL that that shouldn't be inquiring about – uh, about those guys and that's like the guys that have like Mahomes and uh 
Tom Brady and Aaron Rod. You know what I mean? Like it's only the upper crust teams that should not be looking for that. But everybody else should be doing everything they can to get these guys on their rosters, man. It's very easy to forget that, yeah, under Pete Carroll, they had uh, the incumbent was Matt Hasselbeck. Then they tried to bring in, they brought in Charlie Whitehurst, uh, Clipboard Jesus. Then they brought That's in right. Tavares Jackson. And it was only in uh, Russell Wilson's rookie year when Flynn came to Seattle. Uh, in the in the preseason, it was like, oh no, this this Wilson kid's better. So yeah, it's very easy to forget they they whiffed on uh, three quarterbacks in Seattle before him. Yeah, and and man, we all know it's it's basically the hardest position to fill, right? It's hard. It's just hard to find a franchise quarterback. You can't you can't go into the draft and pick the first and take the first overall pick because you don't. Um, even if you had that first overall pick, is what I meant, and you don't know if it's going to pan out. You just don't. Um, so once you have one. And, and he's what 32 he can stick around for a long time um i mean i mean the watson situ- situation is different because i mean this guy is just is really just entering his prime years he's 26 right i think i mean maybe a little than that but yeah about 26 i would say let's see yeah i'll find out yeah yeah find out for me but i think that the um those two are just absolute game changers i mean they can swing the uh, the course of your franchise's direction just by being on the roster, you know, like uh, they make up for a lot of those, those errors. And I think that that's was um, like, you look at a team, like say Denver, like, of course, I, you know, I wrote an article because Denver is now, well, recently it has become um, the number one favorite destination uh, on the, for, for odds makers to land, uh, to land Watson. Yeah, of course he would be. Um, you look what happened when they, when they grabbed Peyton Manning, you know, obviously they had five division titles, won a Super Bowl, all that stuff. But, it's it's more telling of what happened when they lost them. Mm-hmm. They basically went into the tank. They they haven't made the playoffs since, um, and they've had really good defenses, uh, and they just haven't been able to add that piece, you know. And I th- I believe that there's a lot of teams in the NFL that are just one franchise QB away from, you know, just being a being a ten win team each year. You know, there's no guarantee you're going to win a, uh, a title because there's so many factors that go into winning a Super Bowl. There's so many different variables. But having a franchise quarterback puts you in position to have a shot at it every year. That'd be the only quarterback, of course. Uh, Houston's not on Wilson's uh, wish list, but that'd be the only thing. If there ever was a Deshaun Watson for, uh, coming back in a Russell Wilson trade, mm-hmm. that's the only time you're really getting me thinking, and, okay, I'll listen to that one. Otherwise... Pretty much, uh, no, thank you. As as the Broncos fan, you said you wrote that on Sports Betting Dime, uh, which is a great uh, site for uh, betting advice on uh, and futures bets going on, and we we both write for that. What as a Bronco fan, what would you give up to get uh, Deshaun Watson? The immediate answer is whatever they wanted. <laughs> the entire franchise, uh, the, the entire stake of the franchise. Remember when Mike Ditka gave up his entire draft haul for Ricky Williams? I mean, I wouldn't go. I don't know if I, how far I'd go, but I know I'd give up Drew Locke. And if they ask well, for well, congratulations. Of course, you give up yeah, Drew Luck. <laughs> well, for sure. I think that I think that's what the Texans want, though. I think the Texans want yeah. like a young a young quarterback in place because I don't think they want to draft another guy. I think they want a, a a quarterback in place, and then they can build around the roster and stuff. But I would definitely, if they said Drew Lock, three first round picks, and I don't know, franchised and traded Justin Simmons, I'd be like, all right, done. Courtland right. Sutton or uh, Jerry Judy? What about because uh, they maybe want to two, both of those guys? So three first round picks, Derek Drew Lock, and those two receivers for uh, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, done. Yeah, I think so. Like it's, I, I, there's no the, because because the flip side is is that you can all I mean as as good as Courtland Sutton could be and as good as Jerry Judy can be, you can always have receivers right? Like receivers can come and go and and I, but a franchise quarterback 
again, you can't, you can't put a price tag on that and you can always regenerate, but, um, but that's the one position where you need that stability to, to kind of build a winner. So, and I think that most teams should be doing that. Like um, I remember somebody was saying for the giants, the giants, if, if they said, give us uh, you know, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley and two first rounders, would you do? I'm like, yeah, I'd 100% do it mm-hmm. because now you can build around Watson and you can figure it out. Right. It's a lot easier to do it that way than to, uh, than to just build this amazing, uh, you know, team around it and then just kind of put in a stopgap quarterback, you know, like there's very few Brad Johnson, uh, Trent Dilfer leading, uh, Super Bowl winning teams, right? I'm glad in you said Brad of. Johnson first. Uh, normally, uh, people go with Trent Dilfer. I'm always like, oh, Dilfer, poor guy. Everyone always uh, <laughs> refers to him. But Brad Johnson also was a quarterback with Tampa Bay who won. For some reason, is never. And it was only three years after uh, Dilfer won, I believe it was. For some reason, mm-hmm. no one ever mentions him. Uh, by the way, Deshaun Watson's uh, 25. He re- he's even younger than I thought. Oh. For some reason, I guess because he came in the league when he was, I like, guess, like 20 or something. I thought he was a bit older, mm-hmm. but uh, 25 years old. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that. The thing about Watson is that I just remember him doing just amazing things. Like, you know, he went into Seattle when there were still fans there, when we were still allowed to watch, you know, and he tore them apart. Yeah. And that was like at the peak of Seattle's defense. And I remember thinking, and and I'm in a football pool and everybody was laughing at me because I'm like, oh, my God, because he tore his ACL shortly afterwards. And I'm like, oh, man, we just lost the Michael Jordan of football. And they were like, oh, I'll take it easy. But I was so uh, enamored by his his abilities and stuff, but he's done that. He's and he's beaten Patrick Mahomes in head to head. I mean, obviously, you know the, the Texans have beaten the Chiefs. Um, he's just a big game uh, QB. So, uh, I, I mean, obviously, I would probably if you if you were asking me if I had to take uh, Wilson or, or uh, Watson, I think only the only reason I would take Watson is because his trajectory is still he's about to walk into his prime. Whereas mm-hmm. Wilson, you have um probably have a good five-year window with him uh to compete but i mean either of those two i mean everything is they set the course of what you're going to do for the next five years at least you know what i mean so and and certainly with wilson uh you know at some point not that he runs as much as he used to earlier in his career but because he is more of a scrambling quarterback eventually those legs will go so toward the end of his career he might the bottom might fall out uh pretty quickly uh you know, I wouldn't certainly think anytime soon, but uh, at some mm-hmm. point, yeah, when you don't have your legs and that's what was a big part of your game, things might go south. So, you never know. I, I was stunned too when the amount of hits they said he was like, I didn't know he was taking that many hits. Like, you know, that's derailed so many other people's careers. So, credit to him for, for continuing to go on. And I know they were saying like he holds the ball too long trying to make big mm-hmm. plays, but I mean, trust me, we've watched enough Seattle games over the past decade to know that there are times where he is basically like sacrificial lamb. Like I've yeah. seen some of the old linemen that they've tried to put out there as like, we're talking street guys off the street, trying to defend um, some elite defenses. And Wilson has been scrambling for his life at some of those plays. So mm-hmm. um, while some of them, he eats them because of, because of trying to make a big play, I would say the majority of that is a line collapsing. You know, I, I've, I mean, I laugh whenever I see a line collapse. I see a video of it where <laughs> quarterbacks under siege. But my goodness, how many times as a Seahawks fan have you seen a line buckle? <laughs> Just uh, and the crazy and, thing, he's never missed a game in his entire career. It's pretty crazy. But there was a few like sort yeah. of misnomer stats that went out there. Like the first half of the year when their offense was amazing, they were first on I think it was sixty nine percent. Nice sixty nine percent first down passing, 
And mm-hmm. then the, the second half of the year, they were awful or wretched on offense because they weren't uh, able to adjust, which was that's what Brian, got Brian Schottenheimer fire, uh, fired because mm-hmm. they didn't adjust. But they were still like eighth or ninth in first down passing. So the, there was this belief that because Wilson had a few games in a row where he was terrible for uh, turnovers, that they just stopped running. Or sorry, they, they started running like crazy. No, no, no. They still were passing a lot. So that's one of those misnomers that's thrown out there. And the other one is, uh, yeah, like the in the playoff game, their offensive line was trash. But I think there was something along the lines of like seventh or eighth in uh, pass block win rate, their offensive line this year. It wasn't amazing. It was certainly bad mm-hmm. toward the end. But it's like, no, like it's like Russ, like some of these uh, sacks are on you as well. So uh, it's not just all on the offensive line. Yeah, no. I'm also surprised that Pete Carroll isn't in lockstep with them. Like if I'm Pete Carroll and he comes into the room and he says, hey, man, you know, let's let's open this offense up. Let's get really let's get let's get into the, you know, ultra modern times and let's put your kind of run first philosophy away for a bit and let's try this. I don't I don't I don't know why he wouldn't have an offensive coordinator sit down and work with them through that. You know what I mean? Like because mm-hmm. it sounds like it sounds like um, he said he went into a meeting and they kind of brushed off his notion of keeping it uh, keeping it super, you know, modern versus versus kind of the older style. But I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it just seems like uh, I, yeah, that is absolutely stunning that they wouldn't uh, they sort of would have dismissed him. Uh, but the initial report was that he stormed out of the room, but they didn't actually say in like week whatever it was, 10 against Arizona. And th- that eventually came out later. So it was like initially it seemed like he stormed out of the room like the day before, which obviously would be a massive deal. So no, 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 no. This was earlier in the season. So that's where context ma- context matters in some of these things. So, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, that's stunning that they wouldn't uh, listen to him because obviously he's the one who's uh, leading uh, you know, the, the charge on offense and, and clearly had been playing at MVP level the first half of the year. So maybe you want to listen to what he's saying. Uh, it just seems crazy. Uh, one last thing on this one. I, I remember watching the Super Bowl and uh, they showed the shot of him and uh, Godell and uh, his wife, Sierra. And Sierra was talking to Godell. And you could just see Wilson was like watching the field and he had like this look of disdain. And at first I was like, oh, man. I mean, maybe he's just like miserable to be up there with Godell and, and Probably. you know, he wants to be on the field. But I think that it really, <laughs> later on, he just, he just, he probably was looking at the field and being like, you know, since I last played in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady's played in what, four of these since? Yeah. And they haven't been back since they lost to New England. So, uh, mm-hmm. um, and I don't think they've even made it to the championship game yet, nope. have they? The no. NFC? No. So I think it's, I think that's one of those things. Like, it probably just cascaded down from watching that. Like, probably frustrated like their careers at that point when Brady uh, uh, when Seattle played New England uh, Wilson was on the rise and it was almost like this is his time they lost that and it was supposed to be you know you know theoretical like changing of the guard but Brady continued to churn out uh Super Bowl appearances and Wilson's teams have just kind of staggered along maybe it's like looking at that field and being like what happened? Where where am I supposed to be? I should be. It should be him that should be competing for the next, you know, five, six, or seven Super Bowls, and he's never even had a sniff. Yeah, so. yeah. And if you, if, uh, however, if you listen to some people, uh, some people who just, uh, I, 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 they have no uh, hope in the world. Really, they uh, think Tom Brady has done nothing, and he's, you know, basically just been carried to all these Super Bowl wins, which is absolutely crazy. It's just like, okay, at some point, he brought a Buccaneers team that hadn't been in the playoffs in 13 years to, to a Super Bowl title. So at some point, maybe he's a common factor there. But uh, yeah, that, oh man, that discussion, that's, that's a whole other one. But yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't understand some of them. It's, uh, some people, it's just like, come on, clearly Tom Brady's a damn good quarterback, you know? Oh man, I've had to eat that crow for a long time. I mean, I've, I've been at that, at a certain point, you just have to be like, yeah, you're the GOAT. And 
and it's good. It's good that he was able to to achieve that outside of New England because I think too many people were like, oh man, where would he be? He was a system quarterback, or you know, Belichick kind of carried him for all those years, and I, I just don't see it happening. Like I don't see a co- uh, a coach scheming it up that well that a guy could win. 11 division titles, you know what I mean? Win 12 games a year for how many years he did it. It's just insane, right? Mm-hmm. And so. uh, the course of the year, they went 11 and five when he went, went down week one, uh, Matt Castle came in and, and they went 11 and five was the year after their perfect season, uh, 18, and 0 until they lost the Super Bowl. So it wasn't like they were like a nine and seven team. Then with Castle went 11 and five. So uh, yeah, the, one last exactly. note about Wilson is, and Seattle is, that uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I got really fired up with people at work and, you know, uh, people uh, Mike Wilbon on PTI, a bunch of people three years ago said, oh, Seattle's going to like be uh, contending for the first overall pick. They're going to go four and 12. They're going to be brutal when they got rid of all their, you know, uh, Thomas and Bennett and, uh, and uh, Sherman and Chancellor and all those guys. Mm-hmm. So the last two years, in theory, were supposed to be the years everyone said they were going to be trash, but they were still able to, Carol was able to drag them to the playoffs and they didn't do that great. This last year was definitely the first of the year in that, you know, in that quote unquote rebuild where it was a huge devastating loss in the playoffs. No question about that. But I would say last year was the first time in the last three years I truly thought they could have done something in the playoffs. Whereas the two previous years, it's like they're just happy to be here, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so going into this offseason, this is the biggest, hugest offseason for them because they're, there's a lot of free agents. And as I mentioned, there's not a lot of cap room. So uh, there's going to be a lot of moves that'll be very, very fascinating for them uh, uh, this coming offseason. All right, well, let's, uh, let's, let's switch things up a little bit here. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, Let's talk about Lowry. Of course, I'm hmm. referring to uh, Dave Lowry, 19-year NHL veteran. Uh, what do you What do you think about his future? Go Panthers! Um, <laughs> I, look, I think it's. I think he's a really he's really the only player available, maybe aside from Bradley Beal, who can wait. Well, I thought we were talking about. Sw- I thought we were talking about Dave Lowry. What Bradley Beal is a basketball <laughs> player? What are you talking about? They're throwing the rats on the ice, right? Uh, no, I think uh, I think Kyle Lowry is one of the few. Is he aside from Bradley Beal? Is the only player available or that could be traded that can swing swing a, a series and and potentially deliver you a title? I mean, I, I think that's how good he is. Um, I think that it, I mean it's weird because uh, it's it, time time in the NBA goes so much faster than every every other sport. Um, we're, we're basically two years removed from him winning an NBA title, like two seasons. Mm-hmm. from leading the team um, and being like, you know, and then we're also just a month or a year removed from them making it being one game away from going to the Eastern conference finals. And now we're, you know, a little, a few weeks away from him potentially being dealt. Uh, it's, I think it's crazy, but in terms of, you know, he's 34 years old. He's at the end of his contract. Um, the Raptors, I mean, they've, they've kind of come back from just a, brutal start they were two and eight um but now they're hovering around 500 and they're in the mix but it's like one of those things do you keep them and try to roll the dice and just try to you know put your best foot forward and let them you know leave at the end of the year or can you deal them and get some pieces back i mean i'm, I'm looking at these uh offers of you know the big rumors obviously him going to philly and uh and they have uh, tyrese maxi or oh who's the oh and uh, uh I forget his first name, but Tybal, Matthias Tybal, I think it's, oh, I forget his name. But anyways, Tybal, those are two really good young pieces and they could potentially get both of them uh, and some, and some, um, some draft picks for it. And that would really help <laughs> this edition of the Raptors. Um, I mean, just injecting some, you know, the thing is with Toronto 
and I've said this a million times, is it is Matisse, if you don't have a superstar. Sorry, it, me? it is Matisse. Yeah, Matisse Tybel. Yeah. Oh, Matisse Tybel. There you go. Um, if you do have a if you have a superstar, um, I mean, it covers up a lot of your a lot of your problems. And uh, and Kawhi Leonard obviously did a lot of the lot of the things. But if you don't have a superstar, you need to have a lot of you need to be good at every position uh, too deep. And that's what the Raptors were. Right. Um, that's why they were able to still have one of the best records in the league last year and uh, and and basically compete almost yet to the East finals. But then you started losing some pieces. And while Serge Ibaka and Marcus aren't title um, like final pieces to a title, they are very good pieces to a team with a lot of really good players. Mm-hmm. And once you took those two away and you filled them in with Aaron Baines and I think Alex Len was the other guy they tried to bring in, it basically crumpled that system of 10 really good players. It went down to eight, maybe seven. And then if anyone has a bad outing or a slow start or whatever, that compounds it. And that's, I think, what happened to the Raptors. So um, just to, so because they haven't been able to reload and they haven't been able to add that superstar, um, they've all had to play a level up. So Siakam has, has had to play a level up and Lowry's had to play a level up and Van Vliet. And they were never able to slide back into their spots where they were just um, – they were above average at every position. Now they have to, like, punch up a level. And so um, all that being – the story is that like I, they've basically gone from a team that won the title to probably a team that's a tier below, maybe two tiers below the rest of the the elite teams. So, Whoa, are you, or, sorry, I, interrupt. Apparently, there's sorry, interrupt. Are you in trouble here? Are they finally uh, getting you, or what's uh, what's going I, I on here? To, I feel like there's a. I think they're all surrounding my building. I'm, I may have to get out of here. <laughs> the SWAT team um, is uh, coming to get you. Yeah, there's like it is wild right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think if uh, I think that. Now it's they have to decide what they want to do, and I think that, I mean, it might be the right time to deal them. It's just really tough because once you do that, I mean, you're you're basically stripping that team, and you're basically saying we're punting on, on this sort of thing that we've built. And it wasn't just the title. I mean, they've been building this sort of success thing for close to you know seven years now, six seven years with Lowry at the at the helm of it. So um, I can see why fans might be a little distraught about it. And what do you make of this? What a long answer, by the way. Please jump in. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, well, uh, what do you think make of this crazy stat that the Raps, I think it's 16-0 without Lowry? Like, that just seems insane to me. Like, I understand, like, 4-0 or something, but what a bizarre yeah. stat. Yeah, I know. I think it. I think that, strike, uh, that stat got snapped, that streak got snapped um, just recently. They were 6-0 this year. I think they're 6-1 now. But, no, but what you're saying is, is wild. It's like, it's one of those bizarro stats that uh, kind of makes you wonder what's going on but no they're, they're definitely better with him in the lineup than yeah. they are without him um but yeah I, I don't know what have you uh what do you think about that do you think it's uh if you were Masai Ujiri do you make the move I think you do because I mean uh, let's be honest like let's be realistic they're not going to be winning an NBA title this year obviously you know if they do have Kyle Lowry in there you might as well if you can get guys like you had mentioned there you might as well you know be able to reset this thing and because even if you, like I said, even if you make the playoffs as the sixth seed or something like that, I mean, let's be honest. Like, there's pretty much the Lakers, uh, the probably the Brooklyn Nets are probably against the Lakers or maybe the Jazz or something, maybe Clippers. It's not like there's no way, but let's be, unless they make some crazy deal, which I doubt would happen during, uh, you know, at the trade deadline. There's no, you know, no realistic way you're actually winning the title this year. So, uh, you know, and they may make the final. I mean, I wouldn't think they would. I don't know a lot about mm-hmm. basketball. I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs there, but they would probably get stomped by the team in the Western Conference. So uh, I think you, yeah, you, you, you set this plan in motion uh, and get rid of them. 
I feel yeah, and, and the thing is, I was watching a, a couple of games um, ago, and they were on the on the broadcast, and I mean, the Raptors. I don't know. They, just some of the things that the the broadcast was saying, they're just like they're saying, you know, to me the East is wide open, and I'm like, I I actually don't agree with that at all. <laughs> like, how is it open when Brooklyn has Durant, Kyrie, and Harden, and Philly has Embiid and Simmons, and uh, you know, I just think that those are the two. They're the class of the East, and I mean, even if you get through them, then you have to go through the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Jazz, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just the teams that you mentioned. I mean, and even the Jazz. I don't even, even though they've been just destroying teams and they're they're just on a such a roll right now, I still don't know if I would trust them over the Lakers or the Clippers in a seven game series. No, well, right? like they're on sportsbettingdime.com and other betting books. Uh, I've seen stories. They're even though they're just dismantling every team, like you said, they're like still twelve to one to win the NBA title. So it's just like yeah. you know, people just still don't fully trust if it comes down to it that they'd be able, as long as. The Lakers have Anthony Davis and LeBron. Uh, it's probably not going to happen. They're not going to beat him. I agree, and and so that's the thing. So I think it's a it's a misnomer to say that the East is wide open. Like even if you were to somehow get through the East, um, and assuming that the next two, you'd have to you have to go through one or two of those of Philly and Brooklyn. I just don't see it. Um, Getting, even if you made it to the finals, I don't think you're making it uh, making it through. So it is a smarter thing to make the move. It's just tough because he really is uh, Larry is a really big part of the, of what this of what this team stood for, and uh, and that would definitely signify the changing of the guard and um, and who knows what happens after that. But if they get the pieces that that were mentioned in those deals, like to Philly, oh my goodness, like that's a reload on the fly again. And Masai Ujiri has been trying to do this bottom out and reload on the fly and and you know, become a rebuild this thing. But I think he's going to, if he, if he swings this deal properly, I think they can just, I, they can keep going. I think if Van Vliet, Siakam and Ananobi are your centerpieces and you add those other two young players and some draft picks, I think that you've actually re, restructured it again, where you're deep again and you have some, some real pieces so that you can contribute about, you know, eight deep or nine deep and, and, and can compete again. And you're just waiting again to land that superstar. I mean, a lot of teams are just one superstar away, right? I mean, it's a it's a star battle in the NBA. You got to have stars to to make it. I think the last team to really compete with a without a true, you know, omega alpha superstar is like uh, the Detroit Pistons, mm-hmm. the uh, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton Pistons. So, having a star star power is what's gonna what's gonna get you a title. So. Hopefully they can. You're hit. saying Tayshawn Prince wasn't uh, an absolute uh, st- stud uh, with that team. Sorry. You're saying Tayshawn Prince wasn't an, uh, the absolute stud uh, with that team. <laughs> I mean, Tayshawn Prince was really good. Rasheed <laughs> Wallace was really good. Yeah. Ben Wallace was really good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, he wasn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I see your point for sure. Uh, well, with one thing we know with you, Masai Ujiri. I always trust in him. Like he's going to do the right thing almost all the time. No GM or, or I guess no president is perfect with their moves, but. He definitely does the correct thing more often uh, than not. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's uh, shift gears here uh, to a couple of different sports. Let's talk about the Kansas City Royals bullpen. Uh, what, what can you say about them going into spring training? <laughs> could you could you even name one? I couldn't. A single Kansas City uh, Royal. Oh, so Salvador Perez, I think, is the catcher still. I think. Other than that, could you name one? I would go back into my idea about the uh, nostalgic sports Twitter account, and I'd be like, uh, "Is Brett Saberhagen going to be uh, good this year?" <laughs> George Brett coming, uh, going to charge the mound or the, whatever it was, the, the umpire there. He's going to come out. Oh man, have you? I mean, okay. How excited are you about 
about baseball now? Like, do you believe the Jays are, are, are doing something? You know, I saw the Springer signing. Um, you know, I'm not, I haven't followed baseball. I'd be the last person to talk about this, but is, is are the Jays going to be good this year? I still think they absolutely can be, but they're still uh, and there's still t- perhaps time. They're they're still a starting pitcher away uh, to being legitimately actually a big time uh, challenge. I think uh, in the mm-hmm. AL East because the Yankees, of course, are loaded, and the Rays every single year happen to you know talk about a team that doesn't have a lot of stars, but somehow are able to get it done. They're they're unbelievable at that. But no, the Jays are certainly on a great t- trajectory, and it's so funny how the narrative of Ross Atkins and uh, Mark Shapiro has changed because a couple of years ago. Especially uh, Shapiro was absolutely vil- or sorry uh, Atkins was absolutely vilified in the city. Everyone hated them so much. But if they had just been honest with the fans and saying they were, uh, we were they, the Jays were rebuilding, it'd be a, lot, a whole lot better. But they're actually mm-hmm. spending money on Springer and Rayu last year, so they're they're definitely committed to that. But I still think they're a pitcher mm-hmm. away. But there's a lot of examples over the years of uh, major league teams not having like, going to the World Series, like but trading for you know Verlander, for example, or Max Scherzer teams trading for uh, starting pitching and getting into the World Series. And they do have the prospect pool, so I think they can still have one other trick uh, up their uh, sleeve, and then absolutely they would be a, a contender. Are they still um, Are they still going to be in Buffalo, or are they going to be able to, to come back to Rogers Center and play? No, I think they're starting in uh, not Tampa Bay, or maybe it's Dunedin uh, where their training facility is. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're in Florida. I'm, I'm almost certain of that. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not coming to, to Toronto anytime soon, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I think they actually have a, the future is pretty damn bright, and they have a lot of young stars on nothing contracts, so that helps to be able to bring in some uh, free agents. Don't you miss uh, Rogers Center with their seventeen thousand two hundred eighty-five on hand for uh, for a game? The roof open. Speaking of the Royals, <laughs> a game against them. Yeah, I I, I loved uh, obviously when they were playing well and they made the uh, ALCS two straight years, but I loved before when it was like yeah, seventeen thousand fans there. I, I, wish, I just wish a team could be amazing, but also have like nobody there as so you could sneak down. I, oh, I, I love doing that. It was just the best. You know, it was. It's actually it's a rite of passage um, back then. If you if you went to a Jays game, you had to move down. Like you had to buy your ticket for whatever it was, eight or twelve bucks, and then at some point just walk down and just confidently stroll by the, uh, <laughs> the spend, usher. Spend sixteen bucks on a beer, and then you didn't feel so bad because it was like the ticket was only eight bucks or whatever. So and it, it wasn't so bad. You know, one of the things I do miss, I wish, why I wish uh, baseball was, uh, why fans were there. I just really wish that they had the year to boo the, uh, to boo the Astros at every chance they had, you know? Yeah. Like I wanted to, I wanted to see guys get, you know, grooved in the, in the thigh and in the back, you know, just like, and just have fans do standing O's for them and just really kind of go through that year of like, you know, and hopefully everything's, you know, would be cool after, but just like one year of that, just to, let everybody know like all the you know the fraternity of baseball players being like what you guys did isn't cool man you know and just let yeah. them have it yeah so, well, that would have been pretty sweet no question about that i feel like we were robbed of that mm-hmm. i feel like no matter what and i and there's not even gonna be fans now for who knows for the foreseeable future and i feel like that's just one one that we just missed and it's it just makes me sad that we didn't get to see that no doubt no I'm, doubt i'm not i'm not calling for head hunting or anything like that well, by all means not. I just wanted to see some good old-fashioned, like, hey, man, it's not cool what you did. That's all. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, very true. Okay, let's discuss the Arizona Coyotes blue line uh, for a little bit here. No, okay. Okay, I guess. Uh, uh, not- is Shane Doan still captaining that, that squad? Is Brett Hall and Curtis Joseph still in the air? Uh, Phoenix Coyotes, those veterans when Wayne Gretzky was coaching. 
Oh, man. <laughs> it was too bad that Gretzky had all these uh, saddled with all these old veterans who were like 39 at the time uh, in, in Arizona because everyone just thinks he's a terrible coach, but he had no players back then. Yeah, it's just too bad. <laughs> uh, I, I forget uh, that Gretzky was a coach on the on the Coyotes. Oh, yeah, my God, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Love them. Uh, okay, I, but in all seriousness, a uh, couple of final things before I get you out of here. Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, how is insanity going? You were telling me that you're going back into the uh, training program that I've done twice and successfully killed my ass. Uh, uh, insanity workouts. Uh, how, how, I think what two weeks just uh, uh, you're in. Let me Do tell that? you something, man. Let me tell you something. As you get older, I'm I'm an old man now, and uh, I've done this program before. So I, whenever whenever I'm uh, tipping the scales a little bit, I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna jump back into this and and get things right. And uh, <laughs> let me just tell you, every year you get older, you try to come back to it. It is the torture rack of all torture racks. Look up, look up Lex Luger torture rack on the Google images and you'll see what I'm saying. It is, it is painful. It is, uh, torturous. It is, you're just a big sweaty mess. But, um, you know, once you get through that first week, and I know you were saying this too, if you get back through that first week, I think you can make it, but it is a lot to ask. Um, and so, uh, I'm going to try to, I'm, I'm still there and I'm still sticking through it, but it is, it is not for the faint of heart. Let's say that, man. Yeah, it's uh, well. The first uh, after the first thing, which is like the, the the fitness test, the actual first workout workout of that is like, oh my god! Like they, they do not mess around early on, and I've somehow have completed that over the years, like twice the whole program, which is like I think fifty seven workouts in total. Mm-hmm. But man, like, there's no way I actually, uh, um, you know work out like the, the 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 crazy people on that thing it's like i do as best as i can but there's, there's no way i can get to that level because it's just insane I'm, as a, as a name mean, suggests for sure and the crazy part is man i watched that video i've, I've seen it so many times because i've done so many cycles of it and so many things go through my head and i thought to myself how cool would it have been or even if he does it now if you were to do another insanity and he called it insanity normal and behind him were just like normal dudes like me and you. And he's going through the workout and you're just watching these just normal dudes dying in front of you. Just. <laughs> That'd be pretty good, actually. It'd be way more relatable, certainly. It would be wild. And it'd be, like, for me, like the part that's crazy is that like I, I watch them do these workouts of people behind them and they're doing so well. And like there's not even any like sweat around them and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. If that was us back there, like someone might have torn their ACL because of all the sweat and they're trying to jump and land or, you know, like running and doing those suicides where you plant your foot. Oh. I would totally get caught on a piece of sweat and I would be going for the ride. Man. <laughs> oh, that's so. a great idea to insanity. Normal. I love that. Uh, you should uh, start, but don't, of course you can't do copyright stuff. You can't do insanity, but you should do your, uh, your, your own um, workout program regimen and have uh, people behind you that are just normal uh, women and men. And uh, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I would love it. And the, and the other thing is I, I once had an idea for a TV show called uh, Do Your Worst. And uh, that would have been – someone would have been the host, someone – some scrawny or overweight or whatever, dude. And they would go and meet with like these trainers, like trainers who do – you know, train Floyd Mayweather or someone who does off-season training for DK Metcalf or whoever. And just put them through a workout that one of these elite athletes does, right? And then just have them try to do something normal afterwards. So, for example, I don't know. Uh, some guy, you know, you do an arm workout for whatever and you do like the most hardcore arm workout and then they make you try to shoot free throws afterwards and you can barely lift the ball and put it towards the hoop and everything because your arms are dead. I would just, I would love to see something like that. So man, that's a great um, idea. I love it. So we'll do that sometime. Well, insanity normal and uh, do your worst and we'll put that together and 
Maybe, you know, wow. we'll make we'll TV a, history here. Every episode of the, the uh, H-Dog Pod, we will do a recap of the, the previous week and how everyone was doing, and uh, that would just be <laughs> fantastic stuff. Uh, I'll get you ahead of here on this. Uh, I mentioned, of course, we discussed a little bit uh, sports betting dime. Uh, what's your role with them? And uh, uh, tell us, basically brag about uh, how awesome you're doing uh, with sports betting dime and uh, what the v- listeners can expect if we were to go on that site that I also write for. Well, I am. Uh, thanks for that. I'm I'm a writer there, and I'm a writer editor, and um, focusing on basketball, uh, NBA, and NFL stuff. And uh, you can catch me uh, in the thick of a lot of NBA previews right now. Uh, I will say that uh, I've been really fortunate um, catching a lot of. Uh, I've been hitting a lot um, on some of my wagers, which is uh, pretty cool. Um, there's been some years where, um, actually, I think you were at the end of year gala that we had one time and, and, uh, our boss said, uh, if there's one thing that, uh, I was consistent at, it was picking the opposite of what happened in the game. And I think I went a whole year of, uh, basically hitting, uh, wrong on every wager. So, um, it's kind of neat now to, to, <laughs> to have a look at it and, and, uh, get a little bit of success. So, uh, NBA, uh, you can catch me. Usually, uh, I'm there uh, every, pretty much two or three times a week. And uh, NFL stuff. Obviously, after the draft, I'm, I'm sure we'll be we'll be getting into more stuff, um, more content, and uh, definitely um, catch us on there. Uh, I know that you do a lot of great golf writing and a lot of uh, maybe some more bachelor stuff. So mm-hmm. it'll be uh, anybody who's interested, um, come on by and check it out. And uh, happy to have you guys uh, following us. We appreciate it. And uh, like I said, like you mentioned, I write about golf and it's so impossibly hard to be correcting golf. But uh, a couple weekends ago, I will brag about it. An actual hit that I had was Max Homa. He'd been playing pretty well before that, 50 to 1 going into that tournament. And I bet six bucks on him to win 300. Stuffs one on the last hole to three feet. They off- Instead of t- t- making 306, they offered me 297 to cash out. I said, yes, it's only a $9 difference. Of course, I'll take that. Hoping he would then miss. So then I bet on team Tony Finau, who was one back of him at 33 to one odds to win. He does miss Homa. They go to a playoff. Homa's tee shot is in a huge trouble. Finau, uh, it looks perfectly like he's going to win, but he often, well, he does. Uh, millions of times, he always uh, ends up goofing it up at the end. So instead of 204 on Finau, they offered me 174 to cash it on him. I said, yep, I will take it. Finau ended up losing. So that was the very, very rare. Maybe you could do that once or twice a year. The double hit, uh, especially for one guy who didn't win on a golf tournament. So that's awesome. The one thing I would always, always say is, uh, also check out your stuff. Uh, I know you text me all the time. Um, you're always one week ahead on your picks. So you, (laughs) you will pick a guy. And, uh, so what I would say is read his stuff, remember that name and, uh, and think about it for the next tournament, because for whatever reason you have this knack of hitting a guy just a little bit earlier before Mm -hmm. he actually breaks through. Yep. Two years ago was four straight weeks. Four freaking weeks in a row, a golfer I picked to win a tournament won the next week. Oh, man, so rattling. Golf is so impossible um, to win. It's so, oh, by the way, too, and, and, and last thing, my wife still, uh, we, we love talking about it, how you picked Miss Philippines to win <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Miss Universe oh, at Cash and Huge, and it's just. It's still, it still just boggles my mind that that you uh, that you hit that one. It was amazing. It was yeah. amazing. I'll, so. do, I'll do the Coles notes of that story. Yeah, it was a uh, sports betting dime when I first started. Asked about anyone want to do the Miss Universe uh, story, and I said I never watch it, but I'll try. And online there was an article that said uh, Katrina Gray, I believe her name was from Philippines, was like the favorite or the second favorite to win. But the betting book we used, Bodog, listed her at sixty six to one to win. So a three dollar bet, 
and if she won, would get you $200, so that's pretty damn awesome. And then uh, I told all, all uh, the, uh, the readers of the site to bet on her, and then eventually her odds went to 50 to 1. I said, I got to bet on her now before she drops to what she should be. And eventually I bet, like, uh, it was 30 bucks to win 1500 on her. Then eventually she did drop to, like, 7 to 1 as, like, the second favorite to win, as she should have been. But I got her at 50 to 1, and then she ended up winning, which was, like, I would, ne- of course, never have bet on Miss Universe otherwise. So that was the greatest $50 <laughs> ever made from Sports Betting Dime on uh, 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 an event, a pageant that I never would have known anything. All it was was simple research on Twitter. I think it's you should also post that video again just to remind people of the sheer joy. I think the the second most excited person wasn't her family; it was actually you when you when you heard her name called. So, uh, just a just a great uh, great recap all around, man. Amazing. It was probably after so many golf losses because, like I said, it's so really hard to, to nail a winner in golf with so many players playing. It was probably that was probably the extra the, the extra reaction was the fact that I finally win on this. So, yeah, good times. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, Thank you so anytime much. Anytime you, awesome. uh, you want to chat, we will definitely do this, man. Um, let's wait for a uh, tsunami to hit or maybe a, maybe a, a rocket crashing into the earth or something, and then uh, I'll definitely uh, hear from you again, man. <laughs> yeah, that no, was, uh, was awesome, uh, Rosales, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much. As always, tons of fun chatting with Eric Rosales. He's an absolute butron and knows so much about so many things. In particular, beauty old-school Kansas City Royals players. It'll be fascinating to see how the NFL QB carousel shakes out and where Deshaun Watson lands. Who knows? It could be his Broncos. I know one thing, I think. Russell Wilson ain't going anywhere. Best of luck in Tiger Woods' recovery from such a horrific car accident. Who knows if he'll ever compete in golf again. But as we've seen before, never count him out. He's the greatest of all time for a reason. You can follow Eric Rosales on Twitter at EricRosales77 to see his and my work at SportsBettingDime.com and at SBD on Twitter. Thank you for listening to episode 57 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang! This has been the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang! Mm, Bang! Mm, Bang! Mm, Bang!